Hello, and welcome to another Profiles of Endurance. I'm Father Scott Vanderveer. One of the things this year of coronavirus has taught all of us is that we really stumble when we're experiencing something that is completely new to us. We don't have the skills from any past pandemic to know how we're supposed to operate in this world of social distance and of rethinking how to do everything. That is not the only experience in life that might be new for many of us. And one experience that all of us have from time to time, and some of us more rarely than others, is the experience of encountering someone who has a disability. All of us wish to be welcoming and inclusive to others with disabilities, but like many things in life, that's often a skill set that is not always intuitive. Conventional wisdom is not enough for us to know how to be effective in welcoming and including persons with disabilities. Today's guest, Christina Sarah, has firsthand experience of this. As a mother of a disabled child and someone who has spent the last more than a decade working to help her children experience all that life has to offer them, as any mother would, she's encountered well-meaning people making some pretty avoidable mistakes in how they interact with her and her family. She's here today to talk with us about what she's learned from those experiences and to help us build some skills for welcoming and including persons with disabilities. And Christina, we're delighted that you're here with us today. Thank you so much for taking time to join us. Let's start by talking a little bit about your your family. Talk to us about, about your family life. First, I'm just going to say thank you for um, this opportunity to talk about a subject that's super important to my family. So thank you very much. Mm, yeah, my pleasure. Truly, thank you for being here. <laughs> so um, my funny family of five uh, began with uh, my husband, Dan, and I. And Dan and I met in theater school a thousand years ago. And um, so we were studying art uh, together, performance theater together. And uh, after our after college, um, we continued to date and pursue other projects, and uh, eventually we were married and still continued to do art and uh, different theater projects. Um, and I also started to teach music um, and movement and some drama to young people as well. Uh, so we continued to pursue our careers in the arts, and then eventually we started our family. And so our first uh, oldest son's name is Bruno. And um, he's kind of an old soul, and he loves music, and uh, he <laughs> loves to wrestle, mm -hmm. um, and he loves to watch TV, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and then uh, our, second, <laughs> our second child uh, is Ralph, and um, Ralph wakes up in the morning, and he, uh, he can't do enough things in the morning. He's drawing, he's concocting different projects throughout the day, he's thinking about what he's going to do tomorrow, he's... he's Full speed, always. He's got a career in the um, arts, it sounds like. He, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unpaid. He's not ideas or creativity for anything. I love um, it. And then I have a daughter's name is Simone, and she is kind of full throttle as well, and just super funny. She, they all have a really um, good sense of humor and uh, make us laugh and um, are excited about a lot of things. 
We uh, love, I can just tell you, I, I know that our listeners right now are already crushing on all of the names that you just shared. You have you have a great <laughs> skill for naming children. Now, some of these are family names. Are some of them names that you were inspired from other places? They're just great names. Uh, I don't know. Bruno, <laughs> Bruno was a name that I really liked. Um, depending on, some of you may know the, this, um, the old TV show Fame. Oh, Fame. <laughs> the, fame. the piano player was named Bruno. Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna live forever. Like exactly. Yes. <laughs> and not that he's named after that person, but I just really liked the name. And then Dan uh, was like, I, I, Dan liked it as well. And um, to be honest, when Bruno was born and he survived a pretty uh, traumatic birth, we still didn't know what to call him, but mm. um, when we saw him for the first time, and he was big and strong and kind of fighting and annoyed that he was hooked up to machines, we were like, that's Bruno. That's oh. a Bruno right there. He told so you what his, his name, name was. was. Oh, I love that. Yeah, 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 he did. So oh. um, there was no doubt that that was going to be Bruno. And um, so Bruno right now is 11, and Ralph right now is eight. Mm. Ralph is my grandfather's name, my maternal grandfather's name, Raffaele. Call him Ralph. Mm. Ralphie boy, if you're really close to him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ramon is just a name we both liked. It's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, and so I can tell you a little bit more about Bruno, which is why we're um, here today. Yeah. Uh, so Bruno uh, was born... Uh, there were complications at birth, and he um, got stuck, and he, as a result of this, he was born uh, with cerebral palsy. Mm. And so uh, we've known he's had cerebral palsy since about, I think, maybe like 11 months old. There was a, a diagnosis, kind of, um, you know, they had to wait to see how he was going to develop to see if, uh, how he was going to develop before there was any sort of definitive diagnosis. Mm. And so he has... Cerebral palsy, which, um, just to be clear, cerebral palsy um, is, a, is caused by some sort of brain injury and affects your motor skills. And motor skills, in Bruno's case, are all four of his limbs and as well his his speech. So, um, so Bruno uses a wheelchair, a manual wheelchair that is pushed uh, by someone else. Mm. And um, he is nonverbal, which means that he doesn't speak with words. Mm. Um, he uses different communication devices to talk to us and tell us what he wants. Um, yes, I think that's basically it. It's hard, it's, you know, Bruno's 11, so we've had, as you said, more than a decade um, with him and with disability. It's, it's hard for me to pare it down to essentials and forget what uh, the primary things people should know. Absolutely. <laughs> to it. So uh, it's it sounds like I mean for anybody listening it is a it's a really happy family. It, the fact that Bruno has a disability does not mean that your family is experiencing a hardship necessarily. Would you say that's true? Oh uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So what was your before you became the mother of someone with cerebral palsy? What was your your earlier experience of interacting with people with disabilities? Uh, limb to none. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, well, especially compared to what I know now or the communities that I'm involved with now, I can't, I, I have, I don't think there's any. I know definitely that when I first started teaching uh, music, I worked for another woman and um, I, my actual, my first teaching experience teaching the music program that I had studied was in a uh, school for children with autism. Mm. And uh, she offered me this position, and I said, sure, I'll do that. And, uh, yeah, it was a learning experience, and uh, I ended up really loving it. Um, but it was it was complicated because I didn't know anything about autism, or um, I didn't know anyone with autism. Uh, but it was a great way for me to uh, interact with kids because I had my guitar, it was all about music and singing, they were all there with um, a helper, so it was, it ended up being a really great experience, but that experience, I think, is my only uh, pre-experience to people with disabilities, or especially children. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I think a lot of folks listening have had the experience of, of encountering in their lifetime is... Being somewhere in public and having some proximity, some unexpected proximity to someone with a disability, and maybe it's someone who communicates differently than they do or um, has a, a different level of mobility than they do, and they wind up not being sure how to interact or to include and welcome and 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 interact well. And I think a lot of the things that uh, people are tempted to do um, come out of a sense of nervousness, come out of just pure unfamiliarity. Um, and I, it seems to me that conventional wisdom, um, you know, it, it sometimes gets us into trouble. Perhaps, for example, um, that if someone is nonverbal, I can say from experience that if I encountered in the past someone who was not able to speak to me, I might touch them to interact with them. I might say hi, and since I, I might realize that they can't speak back, then I um, put a hand on their arm or something. And it's an example of um, me just not knowing what is a good way to approach this and never getting enough warning or enough practice to feel like I improve at all in in the experience. Right. So um, I'm, I'm curious. One of the things that, that you have experienced again and again and again is – folks, many of whom are well-meaning, um, approaching you and your family and interacting with you in a way that is not, is not productive, is not helpful, does not successfully include or um, interact well with, with your son, Bruno. And I'm wondering if we could, we could talk about some of those because I know that a lot of the folks listening are thinking, tell me what to do. I really, I, I'm aware that this is an area of unfamiliarity for me. So um, let's talk about a couple of the things that uh, that are are often happening for for families that have a loved one with a disability. The first scenario I think would be interesting to talk about is when you encounter a family with children and the children are curious about um, a person's disability, and they start right. getting curious and verbal about that. Do you have any examples of of that kind of thing happening in your life? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, and I'm happy to share them. But the first thing I want to say is this is absolutely my family's experience with disability and how we approach it and our child. 
I don't want to be making grand um, statements on behalf of disabled people everywhere because yeah. that would be absurd. So right. I just want to make sure that everyone knows I'm just speaking about my child's experience and our family's experience and our beliefs and how we navigate life. That's helpful. Um, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so kids are curious. And I think for kids and for people in general, anything that looks different is where your eye goes. And um, because, you know, today it's different, but even even now you don't see uh, very disabled people integrated in public. And I'm talking about, like, my child uses a wheelchair 100% of the time. He is nonverbal. He needs help with all aspects of daily living. Mm. And uh, I don't know how many people can say, oh, yes, I see someone like that every day. And if they do, it's definitely not more than one or two. And they definitely exist. They're just not integrated into society as much as I hope they will be eventually. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so being in public, yeah, so kids are curious. And I think um, I'm going to go with a good example first. Ah. <laughs> uh, we have a dance recital for my other son, for Ralph, who's doing hip-hop um, dance uh, in a recital and we were at the production performance and um, Bruno was there and there was a little boy who I had taught actually in, in one of my music classes and uh, his mom and I were speaking and he came up to me and he, he was sh- just shocked as, as sometimes kids are and just kind of staring and and you know uh, he said what's wrong with him and I said oh uh, nothing, Fisher. Um, there's nothing wrong with him. He he just is born differently, and he's just taking his time to learn to do things in a different way. Mm. And he was just, you know, that's confusing. And his mom, very nicely at that moment, said, "You remember we talked about this, Fisher? That everyone's body is different, that people are different, and everyone, you know, grows up differently." And I was so happy in that moment because whenever this happens. And that's kind of my standard thing that I say to kids when they say, what's wrong with him? I say, there's nothing wrong with him. He was just born differently. He's learning to do things differently. You know, he's still learning to walk. He's still learning to talk. All true. I'm not lying. That's right. Um, I don't know how he's going to do those things, but he is still learning to do them. Um, And then that moment after is where I'm like, okay, parents, you're on. You know what I mean? Because... Uh, the kids are in kind of in shock or they oh. either, you know, I don't, it, it can go anywhere from there, but I, I feel like I've done my part and I'm happy to answer questions, but I would really love it at that moment to be supported by their parents. And this woman very, in, uh, very well, in my opinion, was like, remember I told you bodies are different or, you know, any, any kind of positive jumping in at that point is fantastic. And then I try to go on with, you know, Bruno at the time, he was a lot younger, I'd say, you really like Paw Patrol. Do you like Paw Patrol? And I try to make it kind of relatable. Like, even though he's disabled, he still likes all the things that kids his age like. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a really great experience. And that leaves me turning away from that small little interaction going, oh, good. That parent gets it. That kid is not going to never think about that again you know what I mean or or that's going to be that kid's only um answer to questions 
because I imagine he has more after that. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a good example. I can, I, and I have many, but I'm just pulling a couple. So uh, the other not-so-great example is we were at the park once, and um, oh, kind of the same thing. A little kid just came up and just stood in front of Bruno and was staring and staring and staring. And I said, hi, um, I'm Christina. This is Bruno. What's your name? And the kid sort of answered me. And um, I said, what What are you doing here today? Because we're trying to enjoy the park. <laughs> and he said, uh, <laughs> he said uh, what's wrong with him? And I said, well, there's nothing wrong with him. He's just born differently, and, you know, he's learning to do things differently at the same speech. And I turn around, and I see the parents of this child just uh, traumatized, just, like, chin to the floor, full of fear in their eyes. Like, they're, they're so afraid of what is happening right now that this child has said that to Bruno. They... They're not even approaching their own kids. And I, I swear, this is how I'm reading the situation. And so I kind of look at them, and I, I keep talking to the kid, and I'm like, everyone's different. I'm sure there's differences in your family. And <laughs> anyway, it was um, very awkward. Oh. And I was looking for a lifeline. I like anything. The parents could have come up and said, hello, you know, uh, nice to meet you. And I think I waved to them, kind of like, you know, let's make this a little less awkward. Let's just say hi. Or, right. So so it was just, it just makes it, it so much more awkward if the parents can't jump in and be a part of it. Because I don't have any problem with curiosity from anybody. Um, it's natural, but... That's just a regular, I'm just at the park. I'm just at the dance recital. I'm not going out trying to advocate for disability. Yeah. So it's hard on me if it becomes a big thing. All of a sudden, Bruno and I are this, you know, subject of um, education. Or like, you know, it's not, it's all of a sudden become this big ordeal in our day when really we were just doing something normal. Right. So, and I expect that I, 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 I'm fine if that happens, and I, especially with children, I'm always sympathetic to them being curious. But what I would like in that situation is the parents to be involved in a positive way. Yes, it makes sense, and the parents to be involved in a positive way. And it seems that maybe the conversation whatever conversations have or haven't happened around disability before that it it seems like it's an opportunity for parents to realize oh we've discovered there's something in our child's development that needs to be attended to we we yeah, want to teach them about also, this i want to make sure i don't expect anyone to know about um severe disabilities because you cannot Everyone is so different, you know, in the world in general. And then people with disabilities, like there's no blanket uh, person with CP. Like that varies from all kinds of things. There's no way. And and coming from my personal experience, I can tell you, I had no idea about um, people with severe disabilities and um, how they can thrive and, and things they can do and how things are done. So I would never expect anyone who is not directly involved with someone who's severely disabled to understand 
them. Right. Um, it would be great if they had some exposure, but I, I know for a fact that they, they won't. <laughs> Yes. It's not the way the world is right now. Yes, absolutely. Is there, would you like parents who have children, maybe there's some parents listening right now that have young children and are imagining, oh, how would I handle that situation if my child, I, I looked I looked away for a second near the swing set and the next thing I know my child has wandered over to a family they've never met before and is asking, you know, questions curiously about their personal lives, whether it's about disability or anything else, I suppose, is there, is there something that you feel like, it sounds like Fisher's mother had done a really good job in already talking about how there's differences everywhere and that difference is part of life. Yeah. It, um, yeah, it, it's hard to say, um, you know, how I want people to act. Right. <laughs> uh, I think just nice. I, 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 you know, it's kind of obvious to say I want people to be nice. Um, um, but just not to make us, or to listen. If I'm saying something, I want them to listen and believe what I'm saying. Well said. Well said. <laughs> you don't have to do, you don't have to do a bunch of work ahead of time. Just if the encounter happens, listen and, and, uh, treat me with respect. And it's not about, it's not about you. I mean, it's like I said, we're just at the park. We're just, right. you know, it, it's not, it, it might be your first time seeing someone with a disability. It might be you seeing your kid see someone for the first time, but, um, it's not, being out in public is not new for anyone who's disabled. Yes. So yeah. It, it just, remember that they're just trying to go about their day. So if we want to have a pleasant exchange, that's fine. But it, it, it's not necessarily an extended learning moment for you and your family. Absolutely. You know, I think one of the things that we've we've heard a lot um, during this, uh, this time in our culture of, of racial reckoning and, and awakening to some of the in, uh, institutional and systemized forms of racism that we have is we'll hear a lot of people of color say quite often, I don't wish to always be in charge of educating you about my life. You know, I don't wish to always be in the, in the role of educator. I'm actually just living my life and I, and I'd like to be able to do that. That's I'm a human being like you are. And yeah, it sounds, it sounds like all of us are, uh, yeah, it's not anybody's job to educate us on what their life is like. But when those opportunities happen, listen and, and be respectful, you know, you know, you said that you don't expect anyone to, um, to understand what somebody with a, with a severe disability goes through, but it's probably fair to say that you would expect them not to bring judgments to it and not to make a bunch of assumptions. That's something that, uh, I imagine you've had a lot of experience with you. You find that people at times approach you with assumptions that aren't true or, or judgments. Yeah. And it's, again, it's so natural. And I, I can tell you firsthand that I, I've done it. Um, when Bruno, when Bruno was a baby, um, I applied for a job to work at a, uh, an arts program with kids with severe disabilities. And um, 
So I worked there, and I was, so Bruno was a baby at the time, and I was working with kids that were anywhere between, like, 8 and 15, and, um, again, severe disabilities. Like, I'm in a huge room with a bunch of kids in wheelchairs, a lot of them not nonverbal, so I was very overwhelmed, and it was a great learning experience, and it was, it, it, it ultimately was fantastic, but that's where I learned a lot, and I think of this story in relation to judgment because I'll never forget there was one young man who I was really overwhelmed by. He was very, very vocal. Like he made a lot of noises that to me sounded stressed, like it, like he was in distress. There, he was in some sort of pain or, and I knew because I, we had to know all kind of like the, the profiles of each kid that he wasn't, but he, um, sounded like he was in distress his body was very contorted so mm. he um it was very um new for me to see kids behave this way mm. and um I was a bit over intimidated by him I, I will say and one day and I saw his caregivers would often calm him down in certain ways or do different things with him um but because that wasn't my job I was doing um different drama things with them, I didn't kind of see a follow-through of what would happen when he kind of had these outbursts. So, um, one day, I was helping out, uh, not when I was working, like on my lunch break, and someone said, can you take Aiden downstairs through the elevator, like down to the next floor, and I went, and this is this child, and I thought, oh, okay, oh. I was a bit nervous, because it was this child, it was just going to be me and him. So I said, okay, Aiden, come on, and I, I grabbed his chair, and we headed toward the elevator. And he begun to vocalize in this um, stressful way. And I just looked at him and I said, I'm going to show you something. And then something my father did for me when I was a kid. <laughs> I did a little like finger hand trick. I don't can't describe it over the phone, but um, kind of like a little fake magic trick. Yeah. And he stopped. He looked at me and he said, how did you do that? Oh. <laughs> it shocked me. Oh, this is not, my. Oh, it's so amazing. It's not, this is not a story about me being so amazing because I did the finger trick. No. This uh. is me thinking this kid cannot talk. He can't articulate anything. I don't know what he's thinking. And him just having a clear Lizabelle saying to me, how did you do that? Oh, and wow. I thought, wow. And then I later learned that, yes, he's a completely competent uh, young man. He, his body just not, does not react um, typically. <laughs> this kid sails in a sailboat. His favorite thing to do is sailing. Uh. He, um, he's probably graduated from high school now. It was a long time ago. But I just never forgot how many assumptions I made about that kid and how intimidated I was. Because of his, how he looked yes. and how he sounded. Yeah. So it's natural. So it's natural. It's natural. However, I have another story. <laughs> uh, my, my family and I were at the zoo a couple of years ago. And I don't know if you've ever been to the zoo with children of any age, shape, or size. Most priests try not to. Like, we try not to. <laughs> <laughs> and it's easy to avoid. <laughs> well, uh, so 
some parents might try not to, too, because it starts off as a lovely adventure, and then by the end of your time there, you're like, oh my gosh, let's get out of here. Um, it's hot, there's lots of ice cream, there's yelling, it's crowded, it's just like, okay, let's go. So, this is where we were. We were at the end of our lovely family zoo time. Let's go. Was all Dan and I were thinking. Ralph was going bonkers from all the ice cream he had. He wanted to stay. He was a toddler at the time. He, you know, I think I was pregnant actually with Simone. He mm. like couldn't leave, and I both of us were annoyed. And Bruno's hot in his chair, so um, we'd given him a five minute warning or something. And as we were waiting with Bruno under a shady tree. You know, not nice faces. <laughs> Try to keep it clean here. Um, a woman came up to us and she said, "Hi, I just wanted to. I'm a little like a little zoo angel. I come around when I see people having a bad day. I just wanted to give you this." And she handed me a um, gift card to Tim Hortons, oh. which is a you know a drive-through coffee shop. Yeah, and I went, oh. Uh, okay, thanks. And she went, I just think you guys could use it. And I just, I just wanted you to have a good day. And I was so shocked. I was, I, I didn't want to talk to her anymore. I, I wanted her away from me because mm. I was mad. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to get my kids in the car. And so I took it. And I remember thinking, just take it. She'll go away. Like, because I didn't want it. I was like, well, I don't need this. I, yeah. So we sat in the car and Dan and I were both so mad because she had seen us with a child in a wheelchair. I'm sorry, but every other parent there had the same annoyed face that we did. There's no, it's not just because we were standing annoyed under a tree. Uh, um, right. She seen us with a child in the wheelchair and she felt pity. Uh, and, we took, and I've regretted it every day that I took that card from her and I wish I would have said, we don't need this. Mm. Go find the woman that's here by herself with her kids who's yelling at them and give it to her. She uh, needs it. I don't need that. Yeah. So it's just, you know, and it bothered me more that she walked away from that situation thinking she'd done something really nice. She gave the family with the kid in the wheelchair a gift card. Yeah. It really it made me really angry. And so. it chips away, doesn't it? Does it chip away at your resilience when you feel that kind of, like you use the word pity. Nobody wants to be pitied. You're not. No. Right? Nobody wants to be pitied. Yeah. Um, that yeah. that can only happen. I mean, the fact that it's several years ago and it still like leaves this like bad taste. I'm still mad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing about it's, it's complicated to talk about because I know, you know, she meant well. She did. She meant very well. But I have a lot of those experiences. Oh, I'm going to pray for your son. I'm, I'm in line at the grocery store, and some woman starts to tell me she's going to pray for me and my son. Uh, okay, and in my mind, I'm like, oh, they mean well, don't worry about it. And then I leave there going, I don't need, we don't need your prayers. Like, we're leaving a, we're leaving a perfectly happy life. Like, don't give me that pity. And then I drive away, and I'm so angry in the car. Uh-huh. So if you can, if you uh-huh. consider that that happens to me every time I go out, and it doesn't, it doesn't happen every time, but if I continually say, I'm not going to say anything they mean well, I'm not going to say anything they mean well, I'm letting Bruno experience that kind of pity, which he doesn't need, 
Yeah. And then I'm, I've got this weighing on me. Why didn't I say anything? Or why didn't, I don't believe that. Or that makes me angry. I can't, I can't, I can't really go by. Right. Right. Yeah. And you've had the experience, am I right? Sometimes you'll have family members with you or, um, I, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm not remembering other times that you've, you've told me about this, but let's say it's a family member who's with you sometimes, but not often. And maybe after an encounter with someone, they thought you might've been a little brusque or something. And they'll say they meant well, Christina, they yeah. meant well, and they're not understanding what you just shared with us. That if I were to let every well-meaning person speak to me or my son, however they wanted, it would chip away at us day in and day out. That's and and that goes along with the touching. I know you, you said before, like uh, because they're nonverbal, you feel the need to, you know, reach out to them, which I do too. That's a, a natural instinct. But when it comes to my child, and <laughs> first of all, he's a kid that you're. Would you touch any kid? Do you know what I mean? Like, right. would you reach your hand out? That's another person. Like you're a stranger. Right. He can't physically hide behind me like maybe Ralph or Simone would when they're being shy. He can't do that. He can't say, don't do that. Right. So if I don't intercept that, I'm not standing up for him. or I'm not acting as his voice when he can't speak. So I, have a good, I had a good experience with a, a lovely woman um, in my, kind of in my extended family. She came up, she talked to me once at a, a, a family function, and I was with Bruno, and she said, oh, uh, can, I, can, I, can I grab his hand, Christina? Do you think he's fine? And I said, actually, you know what? I've asked him many times if he's okay with strangers touching him, and he has said no. Uh-huh. And she said, oh, okay, okay. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. And I said, no, it's fine. I, thank you so much for asking. That was such a nice interaction in that situation. Oh. Um, because I get it. I've done the same thing. You really want to connect. You want them to see that, you know, you're being positive and you're there and you say hello. But at the time, he's like eight years old. He doesn't want you to touch him. He's <laughs> a stranger. That's, and so, it's really powerful for us to hear the bigger picture of that, too, where you've asked your son using, you know, the, the communication skills that allow him to express himself. How do you feel about that? And again and again, he's told you, no, I don't like that. So yeah. that's so, and yeah. no, no stranger or no, even not even a stranger, anybody who knows him less than you do, which is just about all of us, they might, they're not going to know that. They're not going to know that. No. And I wouldn't expect them to, but I do expect them to respect his personal space. Yes. Just like they would anyone else. Cause he can't control his personal space. Oh. So it's really, it's really complicated and it's really, um, personal. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking if, um, for any other child, if nobody needs to be told, do not touch my eight year old without my permission, please. I mean, nobody needs to be their permission. Yeah. Or without Mm -hmm. their permission. I mean, touching without permission. I mean, all of us, especially, I mean, in the age that we're in, we know people know better than that. Um, and disability does not change that at all. Disability does not change that. 
I, I can hear people having ahas as you're as you're sharing this, and it's I, mean, I really and they're 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 gentle ahas. I think you know they're gentle, but they're but they're real because I you know I myself am thinking it would be very easy for anybody who has a people pleasing um, strain in them, and I think a lot of a lot of the folks listening to this podcast can relate to if I said. How many of you are people pleasers out there? Probably, you know, six out of 10 listening to this podcast have yeah. some strain of people pleasing, <laughs> maybe even full blown, you know, for those who know the term codependency, there's a lot of us dealing with some version of codependency and, uh, we, gosh, boundaries are huge. But when mm. you start, when you start changing some of the circumstances and adding some factors like disability, it becomes muddy when actually what you just shared with us is a really clear, bright line. It's a really clear, bright line. It's always appropriate to ask because that is what a respectful person does. You're, you are the one who um, is in charge of guarding Bruno, Bruno's boundaries because he can't get away like the other kids can. Yeah. And what I really liked about that situation is that she did ask and because and, um, she wanted to connect with him. And I think, you know, speaking to people with disabilities just like you would speak to any other child or person is I you know can make this grand assumption it's all they want and though uh, you know many may not be able to respond like Bruno cannot say thank you or hi I'm Bruno or sometimes he might not even look you in the eye yeah. but it doesn't mean he doesn't hear you or feel like he's being acknowledged yes. and I can guarantee you he feels whether he's being acknowledged or not yeah. And something I, whenever I try to go into Ralph's classroom, especially when we weren't, right now they're both at the same school and it's very inclusive and it's fantastic. But when we were living in Toronto, um, they weren't at the same school. And so I'd always make sure to go into Ralph's classroom and just talk to kids really basically about disability because whenever I'd go to Ralph's school with Bruno, lots of curious kids coming around and kind of, and so I'd just go in and say, you know what? I know you guys have seen um, Bruno come around here. It's okay to come say hi and just give a really brief talk about people who are different, not getting into um, cerebral palsy or like, you know, different kinds of specifics, but just when you see someone who is different, just remember they have feelings too. Mm. And that's where I try to leave it. And I try to just, you know, remember they can have hurt feelings. They can feel happy. They like when people are, you know, smiling at them, not when they're scowling at them. Just really basic, <laughs> nice yeah. behavior. Apps. Oh, yeah. It's huge. It is. It's huge. You know what I think might be at, at some of the, the psychological trick that maybe has happened to a lot of us is if a child, maybe there's something that stops us from seeing a wheelchair and a stroller as differently as they are, you know? And so we speak to someone, a, a young, a child in a wheelchair, we're not, sh it's almost like, I'm not sure if you feel like this happens a lot, but I would imagine that a lot of people speak to Bruno like he's much younger than he is, not honoring that he's an 11 year old boy. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of, um, I think that's a stereotype of uh, people with disabilities in general, from what I know. Mm. Uh, people assume, like, kind of infantilize them. Yes. And, uh, yes. and treat them younger than they are. I mean, I think it's hard for, 
lots of people to gauge how old a child is in general. Yeah. Um, you know, you can kind of guess, but um, yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think it's that much more complicated for a child in a wheelchair, for sure. One of the things I think we've really been able to establish in the in the short amount of time we've been in this conversation is that you're not necessarily every situation is different as you said at the top you're representing your family not all parents and all persons with disabilities you don't you don't have license to speak with any generalizations but you're giving us a lot of food to 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 chew on and and I think one of the things we're all sensing is Making mistakes in this area is part of learning. There, You will not do it perfectly all the time. The less experience you have, the more the chances are that you are going to not do it with any kind of great skill. And so there are times that someone will maybe take a risk in the way that they, they, want, to, they want to welcome, they want to include the person with a disability, and they do it in a way that is not helpful because they just haven't learned yet how to do it. And they wind up getting corrected or um, guided by, by another person in the, in the situation. That, it sounds like, is where there are often a lot of tricky moments. There's a real decision to be made if we are corrected by a parent or by a loved one of someone with a disability. We've really got to decide how to respond to that in a way that is that is productive and constructive and not and not harmful what what comes to mind when you think about that dynamic uh that that's it's hard no one likes to be told how to do something or or that they've approached something in the wrong way i get it that's that's it's complicated but um yeah i had a friend who uh, i was working with um, we were talking about this exact same topic about uh, trying to connect with people who are nonverbal, and I said, um, you know, sometimes people reach out and grab Bruno's hand, or they like touch him on the head, and I'm like, I don't do that. He's eight years old. He doesn't want some stranger's hands all over him. And she said, Oh, Christina, I I did that. I did that. I'm like, I know you did. I know. And then, and then I'm in a bit of an awkward situation because she's my friend and she did it. And this is mm. kind of my way to, you know, enter that territory. Sure. And she said, oh, but I just wanted him to know. I just wanted him to know that I was sitting beside him. I just wanted him to know. Kind of waiting for me to say it's okay. Right. But it's not. It's okay if you're his grandmother or, you know, his uncle or, or something. It's not okay if you're, like, my mom's friend reached out and grabbed my hand. Okay, my mom gave her the pass. Like he's got to know where the, <laughs> the the boundaries are. Yeah. So it, it's complicated when she's saying, "Oh, I just I, I just wanted him to know." I I, I. And I'm like, all I hear is I I I. You're not really thinking about Bruno. Uh, so it's, it's complicated. So I my I like yeah. Sometimes you might get it wrong myself included i have got it wrong before mm. my guess is that if someone tells you you just have to listen i don't know you kind of have to eat it and that's an individual choice on how you take that kind of uh, response i hope everyone takes it well you know obviously <laughs> a learning experience 
you know, it's interesting because as a priest, I look at this through a bit of a spiritual lens, but, um, but I know that all the great wisdom traditions of the world talk about this. In the Catholic tradition, um, St. Augustine was once asked, what's the most important um, virtue for someone in living this Christian life? And he said, the most important virtue is humility. And they said, okay, what's the second? thinking they could line up this list of virtues and live them out perfectly. And he said, the second most important is humility. And then he said, and the third most important is humility too. He said, it's so important. It takes up the top three spots, you know? So, I mean, from my point of view, um, I do not like being corrected. I don't more than that. I don't like being wrong. It feels awful to be wrong. But I think all of us, anyone who's on a growth journey, whether it's a spiritual growth journey or not, but especially those listening who are on a spiritual growth journey, humility is, that's the juice of life. That's when your ego is getting contained and your soul is expanding. It's exactly what we want, but it doesn't feel good, you know? So it's like, but if we can learn to, because what you just said, you have to eat it and it is, you're eating crow, but... That it doesn't feel good to the ego, but it is nourishment for the soul. And uh, I wonder if we can just if we can just approach that because I, I do I feel I feel that way very much that I'm even hearing this conversation I'm I'm cringing over earlier mistakes that I made, but you know Maya Angelou was the one who I think said um, you can only do what you know how to do at the time when you know better you do better. You're responsible for what you know how to do. You're allowed to make mistakes, but when corrected, now you know better. So now do better. Yeah. Yeah, and I, like I said, I mean, I know you think I'm a saint, Scott, but I've, I've made mistakes. I have said all kinds of things. That, you know, even with my own children, you make mistakes. But um, like you said, the ego, you got to, you got to, knock it down yes because <laughs> yes. it just gets in the way of uh, connecting with people yes yeah talk to me about how curiosity can play a role you you if we want to get better at this but we don't want to objectify our our friends who have disabilities or their families is there is there any way that you would recommend us to maybe it's a matter of reading more um, about this because it feels to me like a lot of us, especially those raising children, um, we want our kids to to grow up to be good people and we want them to um, to see beyond difference to appreciate all all the diversity that that the world has to offer, but. Um, but it feels like uh, a lot of us are, are kind of siloed away. What is the right way for someone who is curious about your life to not exhaust you with expecting you to educate them about it? Is there a fine line there? Is there a, is there a, a happy place between the gas and the clutch of having curiosity but respecting that you're, you just want to live your life? people's faces especially um if if it's the first time i'm with they've seen me with Bruno, or, or it's the first time they're meeting Bruno. 
this is a good term to say. This is sorry. This is the most accurate thing I can think of to say. Is sometimes when you enter a room with a disabled person, it can suck the air out of the room. Ah. And I've done it a lot, a lot. So I can confidently say this, and not just with Bruno. I Dan and I did a project a few years ago with uh, another couple, both who have cerebral palsy. One who is you know um, uh, uses a wheelchair, nonverbal, and um, the other one um, has a very mild cerebral palsy. Mm. When we walk into a room, sucks the air out of the room because visually, people are different. So automatically, but there's something about it that kicks everyone in the ego a bit oh. because. Suddenly, all of their fast and furious lifestyle is in their mind being questioned for the person with the disability, if that makes sense. Mm. How? All the, all, I can see the questions on their face. How does this person do this? How does this person eat? How does this person catch the bus? How does it, mm. You can see the questions. I can see the questions, and with my own child, on other parents' face. Mm. How do they do this? How does, the, how does he get to school? How does he get dressed? I can see all the questions. So it sucks the air out of the room a bit. Now, that sounds really negative, mm. but in my mind, that's exposure. That you've not spent, enough, or you've not seen, you've not been exposed to people with disabilities. Because the more, like the community I have moved into, I can see those questions on their faces, but I don't see them as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Because they know him. They know me. They know how we work. They know our house. They know our family. So it's a little more common for them. That's yeah. such a big deal when they, they see me pick him up and carry him somewhere else. Or if they see me, you know, lift an enormous device. Or, you know what I mean? Mm. I'm, I'm making myself look to be really strong here. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. I, just, I just mean, like, because it's not familiar to most people, it's really jarring. And I, I don't, uh, the answer to this is to have people with disabilities integrated more into society and make it, um, you know, a more common people in your neighborhood. There it is. But yeah. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> right. Well, and but you, it's, it seems to me that you've tried because you know that you collaborated with the couple you were speaking of in a, uh, in a stage experience that was meant to help folks get to experience. Yes. And I can tell you, like, what what really, and I think is happening in society, I hope is happening, and I do think very small, tiny stuff is happening, is just the accessibility of the public. Mm. And that, sure, I mean, Bruno doesn't wake up in the morning and go, I'm so disabled, I can't do this. I don't wake up in the morning saying that. I'm not even faced with it until I try to go somewhere and there's 20 steps in front of us. Mm. Then I go, oh. Now this is a problem. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's my experience. So, I mean, you know, it's just about, and it's not just about, but there's a lot of it is about making places accessible for people with severe disabilities to roam freely, whether it's wheelchairs or accessible toileting or um, communication devices, signs. This is a whole other podcast. (laughs) Fascinating. um, Yeah. But (laughs) you just helped, I mean, all of us, you, right there, you just helped all of us though, by saying that because, you know, the, you're, you're going about your day and then you encounter 20 steps where there's no option to, uh, to go around them. 
and now we got a problem. And I think that is just such a, it shows that, uh, that we have a, a ways to go. We think that we've done a really good job making everything accessible. I think for those who don't, um, deal with, uh, any kind of disability in their, in their home or in their immediate circle, Sometimes, you know, any business owners will talk about, you know, how, how hard the regulations are and how, you know, how hard it is to keep up with all the regulations that folks um, have to follow to keep up with, with governmental guidelines. But we're still a long way from being able to be an integrated society where parents... Yeah, I, yeah unfortunately, yes. I want to say, well, there's lots of good things on the horizon, but not at any sort of speed that is helpful to people now. Right. Right. You know, there's something that I think people would appreciate me asking about, and I'd be curious to get your reaction to. Um, a lot of folks cower um, from even talking about issues they don't have familiarity with because they feel that the language they use will be inappropriate. And I'll give you an example. I don't, I don't know even where this stands right now. I might sound like I'm speaking in 1960s jargon when I say this, but I feel that in the ether, um, maybe 20 years ago when I was coming of age, um, I thought that the word disability was kind of being used pejoratively. It had been kind of cast as we don't say disabled, we say differently abled, you know, or, um, you know, we don't call it, I, I don't know about the origin of the word special and special education and what kind of values were put into that. But I think a lot of folks are afraid to say even the word disabled because they're not sure if it's pejorative now, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've, I've uh, encountered that many times. And I also can't give you a definitive answer. I have no problem saying disabled. I have no problem saying disability. It's fine. It's a word my, my family and I have chosen. I don't think it's a negative word. I think it's just a, a fact. There are some disabled people who don't like the word, who, who do choose differently abled. Um, there are people who don't like using differently abled. There's, you know, it, it's this kind of thing where I don't have the answer and people might choose different words to represent themselves and you might have to eat it if you say the wrong thing yeah. but you got to try and I for me I um watched a, a woman I know interview someone um about disability and she really struggled saying disability she said I don't like to to use the word disabled mm. and she just said it with just a distaste that I went you're giving that word the wrong meaning. Yeah. You're giving it a really dark cloud. So I messaged her and I just said, hey, you know what? I, I don't know if I'm out of place to say this, but I don't think there's anything wrong with saying disabled. I think, you know, lots of people use that word. You might count on people that don't, but I don't think you need to worry about saying it. It's not a bad thing. Mm. And um, she, she appreciated it. She said, yeah, I, it's awkward for me to say. But, um, it, it, words are hard, but I think you, like we've been saying, you kind of have to try your best and see what the outcome is. I mean, obviously, there's words you're not going to use that are gone and outdated. Yeah. But um, you know, my I have a family member who had a hard time saying nonverbal. Oh. And she, she said because she felt she's like, well, he does speak. He does. He. It doesn't mean he can't think. It doesn't mean he. I'm like, well, that's not what the word means it's just 
clear, clearly stating that he doesn't use words. But she felt that it was really undermining what he knows and how he can express himself, which I appreciate because, you know, she, she wants him to be seen in the best light. But I'm like, I said, you're giving, you give those words power or you take them away. If you come out and just call it like it is, he is nonverbal, the people are going to take that in the right way, I hope. Yeah. But if you dance around it and kind of don't use it and avoid the subject, you're giving it shame. And it doesn't need shame. I love I love what you're saying. I think oh, if we could if we can get away from shame in general. Absolutely. But you know what I love? Here's here's something that I'm taking away from this that's a real treasure for me. If I do, so I've just encountered a mother who says disabled is a word that works fine for us. It's not a problem. If I then encounter another mother who says, please don't call my child disabled. He's differently abled. It's okay to eat it for a bunch of reasons. One of them is that it allows her to express herself, which might be what she needs to do today. But also because I'm I'm annihilating my ego just a little bit, which is good for my personal growth. So it's well, okay. And also, you know, you don't you don't really need to call them any. I don't know why. I I know what you're trying to to give sure. an example of, but yeah. really, you should just be saying <laughs> your child or um, whatever yeah. the name is, right? But, I mean, I don't. I, I, eventually, you know, sometimes you do have to use the word, but yeah, the, I mean, the key is to see everybody as a person first. Yeah. I know our time is short, so I know we're, we're at the end of our conversation, but everybody is wanting to ask each other during this, uh, this year has been hard on all of us, no matter what our life circumstances. And we want to know what, what are we doing to, to, uh, stay alive right now? What are you doing to recharge your spirit in the midst? You know, you've, you've shared a lot of a lot of beautiful things and a lot of challenging things. What do you do when you're feeling depleted? If you've had a bad experience in public with uh, with some folks who uh, maybe didn't didn't see you and your family for who you really were, what do you do to recharge yourself? Um, I think in general, uh, I take I take a, a break. <laughs> Dan and I are pretty good about. Um, Asking each other for a break or saying, looks like you might need a break and um, giving each other time. And so I think in general, when I need a break, I, um, I'll i either go for a walk or I'll go for a run. I, I'll do something physical. Um, mm. All of the theater work that Dan and I do that is ingrained in us is, is very physical. Um, and especially now, we're mis- we don't get to be <laughs> cre- actively creative or creatively active. Um, so mm-hmm. we run, like I, I jog, and um, we moved to a, a beautiful town in Muskoka. That's we've got huge woods behind us, and so I mm-hmm. often jog there. Um, that often recharges me, or uh, you know, resets my brain. Mm. Well. You've reset. You've reset a lot of things for us in this conversation. I, I, I personally am feeling just so. I'm feeling recharged by this this really important conversation. And I would just like to uh, invite our listeners into just a moment of savoring before we go. And there are a couple of things that that might have really stood out to you today that you really want to ponder before you you move on to the next thing you're going to do today. Neuroscientists tell us that a uh, it takes 15 seconds of savoring for an experience to stick with us. So I'm curious, what are some of the things that are that are part of 
what you're taking with you from this. One of the things Christina said she says to, to kids who are curious about Bruno is that there's nothing wrong with him. He's learning to do things differently. What about that spoke to you? What did it say to you that those with disabilities don't spend all day thinking about their disability? How can that change the way that you interact with someone who you wish to welcome and include? When someone was corrected by Christina, they wanted to explain what they were doing by saying, I was just trying, or I was going to do this, or my goal was, and she realized that the pronouns that they were using were I, 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 and not thinking of Bruno. When in the privacy of your own reflections might you be able to acknowledge or own that you've been that friend in a story in your own life? How might having to eat it, as they say, in a situation help you to lessen the grip that your ego has on you? Christina, this is obviously the, the, the tip of a huge iceberg. 50 more podcasts will need to be uh, following this one. But thank you so much for giving us a window into your world and for sharing with us this really, really valuable insight. I, I'm oh, really enriched. I hope so. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thanks so much, Scott. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. It means, it means the world. And thank you to all of our listeners. Peace be with you all.